are listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. John 16, 16 through 24. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again a little while and you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says, says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father? So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. But Jesus knew they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, You will weep and lament, and the world will rejoice. You will, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good afternoon and welcome to Sojourn. My name is Justin and one of the pastors here. It's good to gather with you in person and online on this afternoon. Thanks for being flexible to uh, adjust our service time uh, so that hopefully we could avoid some of the winter weather that we're having today. But it's a blessing to have technology to be able to have some of us at home and some of us here as well. Uh, Before we dive into our text today, into the sermon, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. So would you pray with me? Father, we give you thanks just for this opportunity we have to come before you. And and God, we acknowledge that you're the God of all creation. As Tom reminded us this morning, that you are sovereign over everything, even days of snow. And so God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that we don't have to wonder about your character and nature. God, you've made yourself known to us. What a blessing, God. What a blessing to us to be able to know you but not only know you, but be known by you. So God, I pray that as we open up your word now, that you would encourage our hearts. Would you help us as we look out at your creation and at your word right now, would you help us to know you more? God, thank you for making us a people through Christ, your people. And we pray, God, by your spirit, that you'd open up our minds and hearts now to receive what you want to say to us today. God, we thank you for this time. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. The other day, uh, I was trying to heat something up in the microwave, and so I popped, I don't remember what it was, but popped it in there and punched the numbers on the microwave, hit start, and the numbers started to count down, but the microwave didn't turn on. That was frustrating, so I erased it, tried it again, same result, nothing. Did the same thing again, still Nothing, and I was getting frustrated. Like, I just wanted to heat up my food. So finally, Amy came over, and she said, this has done this for me before, too, and she did something, and it worked. 
But I thought it was a little bit funny that I was getting frustrated with a microwave. Like, literally something that's been invented to play towards our impatience and desire to have immediate results. I mean, and it's not just for heating up food. We want microwave experiences in our life. We want things to happen quickly. We want the web page to load faster. We want the Amazon package delivered today, not tomorrow. We want school to be over in a fraction of the time. And while technology has allowed us to do many things faster than we used to be able to, it doesn't ever address the deeper heart level issue that's at play. We do not like waiting. We don't like waiting. A problem that becomes very apparent as kids, but doesn't really go away as we become adults. Maybe you've heard the, the little pithy phrase that good things come to those who wait. But is that really true? Because I mean, now seems better to me. Waiting is always hard. But it's especially hard when it's accompanied by sorrow and difficulty. As we come to our text today, we see the disciples, Jesus' closest followers, are having a hard time with waiting. They're having a hard time with the unknown. And in the midst of that, it involves sadness and uncertainty, and they don't know how long it's going to be until things will be better or more clear. So Jesus, as he often does with gentleness and care, speaks to their heart. And he speaks to the emotions that they have and that they will experience. And it's in this that he helps the disciples, and he helps us to see that though it can be, and at times will be challenging for us, when we're waiting, if we're waiting on God, it's always, we always know that it'll be worth it because something good will come, an unshakable, everlasting joy. And that's my hope for all of us today, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, whether you're in the midst of something difficult at this moment or will be facing something difficult down the road, no matter how long you find yourself having to wait, my hope for you is that you'll experience and know that real joy is really possible when it's found in Jesus. Who he is, what he has done, is doing, and will do. So with that, let's jump into John 16, and may we see Jesus more clearly today. Just by way of reminder, either if you've been here for a while through this series or this is your first time gathering with us, where we are in the Gospel of John is in the final week of Jesus' life before he heads to be crucified on a cross. And he's spending this time with his disciples and he's teaching them and he's instructing them. These men that have been following him, men and women that have been following him for a long time, he's sought to help them understand the kingdom of God and who he is. And in these final days, he continues to seek to help them understand. He's told them that he is leaving. And in the previous section that we looked at, he said he's leaving and he's going to the Father. And when he does that, the Holy Spirit will come. In verse 16, our beginning of our verse, our text for today, he reiterates what he's already said. He says, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. Now, Jesus continues to prepare them for what's about to happen. But what we see is, is they still don't quite get it. They still don't quite understand. And with that becomes a whirlwind of emotions. Look at verses 17 and 18. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? 
We do not know what he's talking about. I love that last sentence. We do not know what he's talking about. Do you ever find yourself confused by Jesus' words? That you read something in the Bible or you hear a sermon preached and you're just kind of like, I I don't quite get it. I'm not exactly sure what I'm supposed to do with this. I'm not sure what exactly Jesus is getting at here. How does it apply to my life? Does it apply to my life at all? Well, if that's you, you're in good company. You stand shoulder to shoulder with these now 11 disciples, these 11 followers of Jesus who are struggling with their faith. They're struggling to trust Jesus in this moment. Yet the same group of people, though they're struggling now, remain faithful to the end. Faithful to the end, partly because of what happens next in this text and in the pages to come. See, in this moment, they don't know what Jesus means. But look at the beginning of verse 19. It says, Jesus knew they wanted to ask him. Jesus knows. He knows them. He he knows what they're thinking. He knows what they're feeling. He knows what's on their hearts, and he knows you. He he knows what's going on in your heart as well. And so Jesus pursues them, and he speaks to them. He speaks to their hearts and minds. Look at verses 19 and 20. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, A little while, and you will not see me, and again, a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Now, before we might be tempted to pass judgment on this group of disciples because they don't seem to be getting or understanding what Jesus is saying here, we have to remember what's going on. This is clear to us because we stand on this side of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so when we look at verse 16 and Jesus says, a little while you won't see me and then a little while you will see me, it's like, well, obviously he's talking about his death and resurrection. But for these disciples, there's mystery and there's confusion because that hasn't yet happened. But notice, Jesus doesn't address the specific facts. He doesn't lay it all out for them and say, guys, guys, don't worry about it. Here's what's going to happen. No, he doesn't spell out the details. He addresses the feelings and the emotions that they have and that they will have. When you and I are dealing with emotions, our own or others, Aren't we at times tempted to try and address those emotional feelings with logic and ration and more information? Like if I just have more info, then I can bring about emotional stability in my life or the person that I'm talking to's life. I mean, I know I can do this for myself. If I just get more data, if I can just think logically about this, I certainly do it with my kids. Like let me sit down and try and help you understand why what this is, what you're feeling isn't the right feeling right now. It usually doesn't go very well. Now, we shouldn't be governed by our emotions. Information and logic and rational thought are important, but they aren't always the first step to bring about emotional stability. Because sometimes, most of the times, people in the midst of the moment don't have the ability to think logically or rationally. When their feelings are overwhelming them in the midst of uncertainty and difficulty, We see Jesus speak to that. I mean, these disciples are distressed based on what they know. They're distressed. They aren't thinking clearly. They're thinking emotionally. 
So Jesus acknowledges the normalcy of their emotions based off their current and pending circumstances. He says to them, you will weep and lament. You will weep and lament. Those are strong words. This isn't just a little bit of sadness. It's not slight disappointment. This is deep grief that they're going to experience. Deep grief. The world, however, the world will rejoice at what's about to happen. It'll rejoice because the world, as we saw back in John 15, hates Jesus. So this all makes sense. It'd be normal for them to feel this way. These men who have walked with Jesus, have been with Jesus, have learned from Jesus for three years, in a matter of days, are going to see him handed over to authorities, falsely accused, brought up on false charges, and crucified on a Roman cross. It'd be normal for them to feel this way because in that moment, it'll seem as if Jesus is vanquished, that the light and life that are supposed to be in him have been extinguished. They'd look and see him crucified if they didn't already run away and think, what, what's going on here? Has my whole life been for nothing? I followed this person thinking he was going to rescue us and save us, and now he's dying in front of us. Weeping, lament would be something we would expect from these brothers. But it's not the end of the story. Jesus says, in a little while, you will see me. You will be sorrowful. And rightly so, Jesus says, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn in to joy. I love this. He doesn't tell them, listen, listen, you don't need to weep. You don't need to lament because of what's going to come. He doesn't tell them to be stoic or non-emotional. He doesn't say, just be strong. He acknowledges their legitimate sorrow. But in that, he tells them, it won't last. It won't last forever. Their sorrow, did you catch this? It won't be replaced by joy. It'll turn into joy. It'll turn into joy. In other words, abounding, everlasting joy will emerge out of deep sorrow and difficulty. Man, what amazing news for them. But to help them and help us even understand a little bit more how this could be possible when something so difficult is going to happen to them, how could it be possible to see such deep sorrow and lament actually turn into joy? He gives them an example and a further explanation. Look at verses 21 and 22. He says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. I mean, this illustration makes sense. Childbirth is painful and difficult. I mean, I haven't experienced it personally but I've seen it four times. It's, it's trying, it's difficult, we understand that. If even in a conceptual way, add on top of that the time period of this. Ancient times, there weren't nice, neat, clean facilities like a hospital, there were no epidurals. There was no guarantee that the mother or the child would survive the birth. And so when it was time for labor to begin, you can imagine that woman would feel some anxiousness and some sorrow, like this is going to be hard. I hope it ends okay. 
But that sorrow, that sorrow would melt away. The pain isn't erased. It isn't discounted. It happened. It's real. But Jesus says she will no longer remember it because the anguish will give way to joy when this tiny human is born into the world. It will turn into joy. So he says, you also then, right now, are experiencing sorrow, but it will turn into joy. How? When I see you again. When I see you again. The end of the story isn't the sorrow of the cross. It's the triumphant joy of the resurrection. That Jesus will come forth out of the grave. This once dead, now risen Savior will see his disciples face to face. I love earlier that it says they will see him, but here it says that he will see them. I mean, Jesus seeing them is far more important. It's not disconnected and distant. There's an element of intimacy to it. It isn't theoretical. It's relational. It isn't passing by. It's presence. Jesus sees them and he comes to them. I mean, I can only imagine the anguish that the disciples would feel on that day between his crucifixion and resurrection. That they're sitting in that moment, having seen Jesus crucified, the authorities are after them, trying to find these followers of his, and they're sitting in a room together in anguish, in sorrow, weeping and lamenting that their teacher, their savior, their Lord is not in front of them anymore, and they don't know how long it'll be. But if they remember these words here, Jesus said a little while, he said a little while, do I believe him? I hope that it's true. And when that day came, when the risen Jesus came to them again, all the anguish of the unknown would dissipate into the distance. And what a glorious day that would have been for those disciples. Of course, their hearts will rejoice. See, we have to understand that in this moment, their sorrow is turned into joy at his resurrection, not just because they get to see him again face to face, but because of all that his death accomplished. Their eyes in that moment would be open to see the gloriousness of his grace that comes in and through Christ. That because he died and rose again, sin and death are defeated forever. Life is available now and forever. Salvation is accomplished. They are redeemed. I mean, this reality would frame everything for them going forward. The cross, which in that time was an object of horror, It would have been traumatic to see as it wasn't, Jesus wasn't the only one who was killed that way. It was often used to murder people and punish people. Seeing that would have been an object of horror, but in this moment as they see the risen Christ, that object of horror now turns into an object of mercy and grace. That's why it will be a joy that can't be taken away from them because through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, everything has changed. In the world, the world can't come against that. The world can't come against it because the world didn't give that joy, and so it can't take it away. The world can't come against it, but it'll certainly try. It'll try to discount the significance of what Christ accomplished. It'll try to offer other things to these disciples and to us to have our joy in, to find our hope in, but it won't succeed. And so this will be a joy that though it can't be taken away, must be fought for and fueled and fortified through prayer.
which Jesus reiterates again in verses 23 and 24. In that day, Jesus says, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Up to this point, the disciples haven't, have asked Jesus for things, more specifically for wisdom, for insight, for understanding. But when this day comes, they won't need to ask for understanding because it'll make sense to them. Everything he's taught them will, will click for them. And the Spirit will come and the Spirit will soon begin to work. And in the resurrection and the ascension of Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit, they'll no longer ask Jesus for anything, but instead, by the Holy Spirit, will ask the Father in Jesus' name. So we have to understand that it is by Jesus and through Jesus that all of us have uninhibited access to the Father. I mean, that's an amazing reality that the God of all creation, that you and I can come like a child before our Father and He won't turn us away. He won't ignore us. We can come before Him freely and we can ask and He will give. What amazing news that Jesus gives to us. But this isn't just asking for more stuff or more things. It's asking for help and empowerment. It's asking for boldness and for wisdom, for transformation and for grace. It's asking and praying in concert with the character of Christ. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. That we would pray in the same way that Jesus would pray with the mind of Christ, that our hearts and our minds might be aligned to the will of Christ. And what happens when the disciples do this? It isn't just answered prayer, but fullness of joy. And what rich encouragement of grace for these followers of Jesus is they're in this emotional moment right now, Jesus says, it's going to get better. But what about for you and me? I mean, what are we supposed to do with this? How does this impact our lives? Because we could read a text like this and we could think, well, wait a minute, I didn't see Jesus face to face and so I'm not feeling the way they are that he's gone and then we'll come back again in that moment. I mean, is this just information John's giving us to kind of move the story along? Or is there something that I'm supposed to take away from this? As I was studying it this week, I find myself encouraged by it, and I hope you'll be encouraged as well. Because the reality is, you and I come across circumstances and situations that are challenging because of sin, our own sin or the sins of others. We deal with uncertainty in our lives. We certainly deal with waiting, and not just for our food to heat up, but for God to show up. And with that come real emotions. Why does it seem like in the church at different times we struggle with emotions, especially emotions of sadness and lament? We're not exactly sure what to do with those. I mean, sometimes I feel like we believe or are tempted to believe that because the Bible speaks of joy, because we know the end of the story, that we should always have this constant level of joy and happiness that can lead us to kind of have a, a fake it till you make it attitude. That we need to act like everything is fine and act like everything is good when in our heart we know that it isn't. When we're hurting, we're having a hard time. Have you ever felt that way in the church? You and I live in a different position than these disciples did in this moment. We know that Jesus is risen. 
that our greatest enemies of Satan's sin and death have been defeated in the cross and the resurrection, and that is and still remains a great source of joy for us. But we also live in a place that is in our home and in a world that's set against God, and that's hard. It's a source of grief and sadness and sorrow. You and I should lament. We can lament the the sin in our own lives and the effect of sin that we see in our world and the lives of others. We should lament the brokenness that exists that we see out there and in here in our own lives. But we don't have to stay there. See, this text helps us to see that we don't need to have a fake it till you make it faith. We don't need to pretend like everything is okay when it isn't. But we also need to keep fighting for joy in the midst of it. Sometimes I think the reason that we as followers of Christ can lack joy in our lives isn't necessarily because we aren't trying to have joy. It's because we often are looking for it in the wrong places. See, this text is about the death and resurrection of Jesus, but it also must include his second coming, which means that you and I are in a very similar place to these disciples. You and I find ourselves waiting waiting. Jesus says he will come again. How long, O Lord? How long? We're waiting for our Savior to return, our King to come again to make all things new. When there'll be no more sorrow and no more sadness and no more sickness and no more sin or difficulty or broken relationships, we long for that day to come, but how long, how long, O Lord? Brothers and sisters, we'll have sorrow in this life but in light of the reality of the resurrection of Jesus and the glorious future that's possible because of it, you can have real joy in the midst of real sadness because you have faith in the faithfulness of our real God. This means that when we encounter sorrow and lament in our own lives, when we encounter a brother or sister who is sorrowful or lamenting in their lives, we don't tell them to snap out of it. Jesus didn't do that with his disciples. No, instead, we help one another to be captivated by Christ in the midst of it. To remember who Jesus is, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. So how can we do that? How can you and I experience real joy in Jesus no matter what we're facing, no matter how long we're waiting? Well, I believe this text gives us three rhythms for life to help us with this. Three things that we can make a part of our life on a regular basis. And so I want to close with those. The first is, is to look back to his resurrection. Jesus was giving encouragement to his disciples about what was going to happen. They would have sorrow and sadness, but it would turn into joy when they saw the risen Christ. Well, you and I have the benefit now of looking back on that. We have the benefit of looking back. It isn't something that we should only talk about or think about on Easter Sunday, but something we should do weekly, regularly. It's a part of the reason we gather together as the church on a Sunday. It's Resurrection Day today. And we need to be reminded that we're a community of the resurrected Savior, a community of the redeemed, that we're brought together as a family in Christ. We once were not a people, but now we were God's people. We once had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. Why? Because Jesus is alive. And so we need to look back on that and remember that up from the grave, Jesus rose again. 
You know, sometimes as followers of Christ, we place so much focus on the cross of Christ, and we should, but we often do that to the neglect of the empty tomb. We do that, we don't get the whole story. It's like reading a book but stopping halfway through or watching a TV show or a movie and never getting to the end of it. We don't know the whole picture, and so we need to think on and rest on the whole story of Jesus, that he died and rose again. And that's changed everything for us. So we look back to his resurrection, but we also need to secondly look forward to his return. Now, I love good food and good drink. I love to spend time with people and, and love to be outside. I love cooking out and having people over. It's been hard in this last year, this season, where we haven't been able to do that. I regularly am grieving that I just I want to spend time with you guys. I want to spend time with my neighbors. I'm looking forward to the weather getting warmer already because at least we could be outside together if all this COVID stuff isn't over yet. I love those things. I look forward to those things. But even as enjoyable as all of those things are, they pale in comparison to the eating and drinking in the new earth with the community of the redeemed and my Redeemer. Now, I love 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. It's one of my favorite verses. It says this, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. I love thinking about this, that one day I'll see my Savior face to face that one day I'll be with him forever and be with you forever and we'll get to be with one another and see and know fully, even as we've been fully known. I love thinking about it. I love meditating on it. It's a source of happiness for me. It infuses joy in my life. When I really start to try and wrap my mind around it, it's a transcendent kind of moment because I, I can only imagine what it'll be like. I can only try and picture the day when that will come. If I like this food and this drink, what's it gonna be like when it's in perfection? Amazing. When I think on that, it helps me in times of sorrow. It helps me in times of lament. It helps me to remember that it's okay to have real emotions and be really sad about sad things, but that doesn't have to be without hope. It doesn't have to be without joy because my Redeemer, He lives and He will come again to bring me all the way home. Psalm chapter 30, verse 5 says, weeping may tarry for the night. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. We will experience real emotions and real sadness here and now, but it will be temporary. It won't last forever. When the bright morning star comes and shines fully and finally over all the darkness of your life and all the darkness of the world, joy will come with him. A joy that can never be taken away. Brothers and sisters, are you looking forward to that day? Do you ever take time to try and think on it and meditate on it, this glorious future reality? If you don't, I'd encourage you to do that this week. Look back at his resurrection and look forward to his return. And lastly, number three, pray in confidence. Because Jesus is alive and has given us access to the Father, we can ask for help. We can ask for wisdom and God will give it. James 1 tells us that. Asking in prayer is the foundation of the source of joy for you in the midst of this life. That you can come before the Father by the power of the Spirit through the death and resurrection 
of Jesus. You can bring all of your emotions before him. You can bring all of your longings, all of your wandering, all of your waiting to your father. You can come before him in confidence to process your real feelings with him and he's not going to flick you away or ignore you. No, in Christ you are accepted. In Christ you are welcome. In Christ you can come to your good father and God in his steadfast love and faithfulness, he will comfort you and he will correct you and he will conform you more and more into the image of his son. Psalm 130 is such a great example of this. We're going to sing a song that is basically just the words of the psalm in a moment, but let me read it over you right now. Maybe even if you want to, you don't have to, close your eyes, just listen to God's word read over you right now. It says, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. And you, O Lord, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, O God's people, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. Brothers and sisters, no matter what's going on, on in your life right now, no matter what you're going through or will go through, no matter how long you will have to wait, come to the Father in confidence, cry out in the name of Jesus before him. And when you do these things, you can experience real joy in the midst of this life. When you strive to see Jesus for who he is, what he has done, is doing, and will do, you can experience abounding joy. Brothers and sisters, weeping may tarry for the night, but take heart, it will not last, but will be transformed. Joy comes in the morning. You know, a gift of grace as a church is not only to gather together with one another, but that we get to take communion together as well. It's a meal that allows us to do what we just talked about, to look back and look forward. It, it first aligns our hearts and minds on what Jesus has accomplished for us. We eat the bread, a picture of Jesus' body broken for us. And we drink the cup, a picture of Jesus' blood shed for us. It also refreshes our souls in what's to come. Because one day, we're not going to be eating tasteless crackers and little packets of prepackaged juice. No, one day, we will be eating at an epic party with an epic meal with our perfect risen king. And so as you eat and drink today, may your faith be strengthened, may your mind be renewed, and may it give you joy to know that one day, the one who has come will come again. And for those of you that are not followers of Jesus, we just ask you not to take communion with us today because this is a testimony that our only hope is in Christ. And so if you haven't yet placed your hope in Christ, if you've been looking for it in some other place, I wanna implore you to place it in Jesus today. So instead of eating and drinking, take Christ today. And if you want to know what it looks like or means to really know him and follow him, to repent and to believe, please come talk to me or any of our other uh, church members here today. For those of you that will take the elements, if you didn't grab them on the way in, they're on the table right out in the lobby. I just invite you to eat and drink when you feel ready to, and then we'll stand and continue to worship together. Let's pray. Oh God, life is 
full of sorrow and sadness, as we experience the effects of sin in our own life and in the lives of those around us that make up this world, life is hard. So God, we pray that you would help us to learn to lament well. Help us to be okay with emotions of sadness and sorrow. But God, in the midst of that, help us also to know that we can have joy and hope. So help us to fight for that, that we wouldn't be overcome by those things, overwhelmed by them, that we would remember as we look back and look forward and pray in confidence to you of our Redeemer who lives, who has come and will come again. Oh God, hear our cries for mercy as we wait for you. Heal our lives, heal our world. God, we thank you that joy comes in the morning. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus. In his name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.